Section thirty one of the Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume two by James Possible. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. On Tuesday, April the thirteenth, he and Dr. Goldsmith and I dined at General Oglethorpe's. Goldsmith expatiated on the common topic that the race of our people was degenerated, and that this was owing to luxury. Johnson sir in the first place i doubt the fact Footnote. goldsmith in his dedication to reynolds of the deserted village refers no doubt to johnson's opinion of luxury he writes i know you will object and indeed several of our best and wisest friends concur in the opinion that the depopulation it deplores is nowhere to be seen and the disorders it laments are only to be found in the poet's own imagination. In regretting the depopulation of the country, I inveigh against the increase of our luxuries, and here also I expect the shout of modern politicians against me. For twenty or thirty years past, it has been the fashion to consider luxury as one of the greatest national advantages. End of footnote. I believe there are as many tall men in England now as ever there were, but secondly, supposing the stature of our people to be diminished, that is not owing to luxury, for, sir, consider to how very small a proportion of our people luxury can reach. Our soldiery, surely, are not luxurious, who live on sixpence a day. Footnote. Johnson, in his Parliamentary Debates, Works, Volume 10, page 418, makes General Handersid say, The whole pay of a foot-soldier is sixpence a day, of which he has to pay fourpence to his landlord for his diet, or what is very nearly the same, to carry fourpence daily to the market. Tuppence a day is all that a soldier had to lay out upon cleanliness and decency, and with which he is likewise to keep his arms in order, and to supply himself with some part of his clothing. If, sir, after these deductions, he can, from twopence a day, procure himself the means of enjoying a few happy moments in the year with his companions over a cup of ale, is not his economy much more to be envied than his luxury? End of footnote. Our soldiery surely are not luxurious who live on sixpence a day, and the same remark will apply to almost all the other classes. Luxury, so far as it reaches the poor, will do good to the race of people. It will strengthen and multiply them. So no nation was ever hurt by luxury, for, as I said before, it can reach but to a very few. I admit that the great increase of commerce and manufactures hurts the military spirit of a people, because it produces a competition for something else than martial honours, competition for riches. It also hurts the bodies of the people, for you will observe there is no man who works at any particular trade, but you may know him from his appearance to do so. One part or other of his body being more used than the rest, he is in some degree deformed. But, sir, that is not luxury. A tailor sits cross-legged, but that is not luxury. Goldsmith, come, you're just going to the same place by another road. Johnson, no, sir. 
I say that is not luxury. Let us take a walk from Charing Cross to Whitechapel, through, I suppose, the greatest series of shops in the world. What is there in any of these shops, if you except gin shops, that can do any human being any harm? Goldsmith. Well, sir, I'll accept your challenge. The very next shop to Northumberland House is a pickle shop. Johnson. Well, sir, do we not know that a maid can in one afternoon make pickles sufficient to serve a whole family for a year? Nay, that five pickle shops can serve all the kingdom? Besides, sir, there is no harm done to anybody by the making of pickles or the eating of pickles. We drank tea with the ladies, and Goldsmith sung Tony Lumpkin's song in his comedy She Stoops to Conquer, and a very pretty one, to an Irish tune. Footnote. The humours of Ballamagary, Boswell. End of footnote. Which he had designed for Miss Hardcastle, but as Mrs. Bulkley, who played the part, could not sing, it was left out. He afterwards wrote it down for me, by which means it was preserved, and now appears amongst his poems. Footnote. Ah, me, when shall I marry me? Lovers are plenty, but fail to relieve me. He, fond youth that could carry me, offers to love, but means to deceive me. But I will rally and combat the ruiner, not a look nor a smile shall my passion discover. She that gives all to the false one pursuing her makes but a penitent and loses a lover. Boswell, in a letter published in Goldsmith's miscellaneous works with the song, says, The tune is a pretty Irish air called The Humours of Ballamagary, to which he told me he found it very difficult to adapt words, but he has succeeded very happily in these few lines. As I could sing the tune, and was fond of them, he was so good as to give me them. I preserved this little relic in his own handwriting with an affectionate care. End of footnote. Dr. Johnson, in his way home, stopped at my lodgings in Piccadilly, and sat with me, drinking tea a second time, till a late hour. I told him that Mrs. Macaulay said, she wondered how he could reconcile his political principles with his moral. His notions of inequality and subordination with wishing well to the happiness of all mankind, who might live so agreeably had they all their portions of land, and none to domineer over another. Johnson. Why, sir, I reconcile my principles very well, because mankind are happier in a state of inequality and subordination. Were they to be in this pretty state of equality, they would soon degenerate into brutes. They would become Monboddo's nation. Their tails would grow. So all would be losers were all to work for all. They would have no intellectual improvement. All intellectual improvement arises from leisure. All leisure arises from one working for another. Talking of the family of Stuart, he said, 
it should seem that the family at present on the throne has now established as good a right as the former family by the long consent of the people and that to disturb this right might be considered as culpable at the same time i own that it is a very difficult question when considered with respect to the house of stuart to oblige people to take oaths as to the disputed right is wrong i know not whether i could take them but i do not blame those who do so conscientious and so delicate was he upon this subject which has occasioned so much clamour against him talking of law cases he said the english reports in general are very poor only the half of what has been said is taken down and of that half much is mistaken whereas in scotland the arguments on each side are deliberately put in writing to be considered by the court i think a collection of your cases upon subjects of importance with the opinions of the judges upon them would be valuable on thursday april the fifteenth i dined with him and dr goldsmith at general paoli's we found there signor martinelli of florence author of a history of england in italian printed at london i spoke of alan ramsay's gentle shepherd in the scottish dialect as the best pastoral that had ever been written not only abounding with beautiful rural imagery and just and pleasing sentiments but being a real picture of manners and i offered to teach dr johnson to understand it no sir said he i won't learn it you shall retain your superiority by my not knowing it this brought on a question whether one man is lessened by another's acquiring an equal degree of knowledge with him johnson asserted the affirmative i maintained that the position might be true in those kinds of knowledge which produce wisdom power and force so as to enable one man to have the government of others but that a man is not in any degree lessened by others knowing as well as he what ends in mere pleasure eating fine fruits drinking delicious wines reading exquisite poetry the general observed that martinelli was a whig johnson i am sorry for it it shows the spirit of the times he is obliged to temporise boswell i rather think sir that toryism prevails in this reign johnson i know not why you should think so sir you see your friend lord littleton a nobleman is obliged in his history to write the most vulgar whiggism an animated debate took place whether martinelli should continue his history of england to the present day goldsmith to be sure he should johnson no sir he would give great offence he would have to tell of almost all the living great what they do not wish told goldsmith it may perhaps be necessary for a native to be more cautious but a foreigner who comes among us without prejudice may be considered as holding the place of a judge and may speak his mind freely johnson sir a foreigner 
when he sends a work from the press, ought to be on his guard against catching the error and mistaken enthusiasm of the people among whom he happens to be. Goldsmith. So he only wants to sell his history and to tell truth, one an honest, the other a laudable motive. Johnson. So they are both laudable motives. It is laudable in a man to wish to live by his labours, but he should write so as he may live by them, not so as he may be knocked on the head. I would advise him to be at Calais before he publishes his history of the present age. A foreigner who attaches himself to a political party in this country is in the worst state that can be imagined. He is looked upon as a mere intermeddler. A native may do it from interest. Boswell. Or principle. Goldsmith. There are people who tell a hundred political lies every day and are not hurt by it. Surely then one may tell truth with safety. Johnson. I say, in the first place, he who tells a hundred lies has disarmed the force of his lies. Footnote. Johnson has an interesting paper on lying in the adventurer number 50, which thus begins. When Aristotle was once asked what a man could gain by uttering falsehoods, he replied, not to be credited when he shall tell the truth. End of footnote. But besides, a man had rather have a hundred lies told of him than one truth which he does not wish shall be told. Goldsmith. For my part, I'd tell truth and shame the devil. Johnson. Yes, sir. But the devil will be angry. I wish to shame the devil as much as you, but I should choose to be out of reach of his claws. Goldsmith. His claws can do you no harm when you have the shield of truth. It having been observed that there was little hospitality in London, Johnson, Nay, sir, any man who has a name, or who has the power of pleasing, will be very generally invited in London. The man Stern, I have been told, have had engagements for three months, Footnote. Johnson speaks of the past, for Stern had been dead five years. Gray wrote on April twenty second, 1760, Tristram Shandy is still a greater object of admiration, the man as well as the book. One is invited to dinner where he dines a fortnight beforehand. Gray's works, end of footnote. Goldsmith. And a very dull fellow. Johnson, I know, sir. Footnote. I was but once, said Johnson, in Stern's company, and then his only attempt at merriment consisted in his display of a drawing too indecently gross to have delighted even in a brothel. Johnson's work, 1787, volume 11, page 214, end of footnote. Martinelli told us that for several years he lived much with Charles Townsend, and that he ventured to tell him he was a bad joker. Johnson. Well, sir, thus much I can say upon the subject. 
one day he and a few more agreed to go and dine in the country and each of them was to bring a friend in his carriage with him charles townsend asked fitzherbert to go with him but told him you must find somebody to bring you back i can only carry you there fitzherbert did not much like this arrangement he however consented observing sarcastically it will do very well for then the same jokes will serve you in returning as in going Footnote. townsend was not the man to make his joke serve twice horace walpole said of his champagne speech it was garrick writing and acting extempore scenes of congreve memoirs of the reign of george the third sir g colebrook says when garrick and foot were present he took the lead and hardly allowed them an opportunity of showing their talents of mimicry because he could excel them in their own art Ibid. perhaps said burke there never arose in this country nor in any country a man of a more pointed and finished wit Payne's burke and a footnote an eminent public character being mentioned johnson i remember being present when he showed himself to be so corrupted or at least something so different from what i think right as to maintain that a member of parliament should go along with his party right or wrong now sir this is so remote from native virtue from scholastic virtue that a good man must have undergone a great change before he can reconcile himself to such a doctrine it is maintaining that you may lie to the public for you lie when you call that right which you think wrong or the reverse a friend of ours who is too much an echo of that gentleman observed that a man who does not stick uniformly to a party is only waiting to be bought why then said i he is only waiting to be what that gentleman is already footnote the eminent public character is no doubt burke and the friend as mr croker suggests probably reynolds see boswell's hebrides august the fifteenth seventeen seventy three for a like charge made by johnson against burke boswell commonly describes burke as an eminent friend of ours but he could not do so as yet for he first met him fifteen days later party burke wrote in seventeen seventy thoughts on the present discontents is a body of men united for promoting by their joint endeavours the national interest upon some particular principle in which they are all agreed for my part i find it impossible to conceive that any one believes in his own politics or thinks them to be of any weight who refuses to adopt the means of having them reduced into practice painsburg into footnote we talked of the king's coming to see goldsmith's new play i wish he would said goldsmith footnote on may the fifth and again on november the tenth the play was commanded by the king and queen prize goldsmith into footnote adding however with an affected indifference 
not that it would do me the least good. Johnson. Well, then, sir, let us say it would do him good. <laughs> Laughing. No, sir, this affectation will not pass. It is mighty idle. In such a state as ours, who would not wish to please the chief magistrate? Goldsmith. I do wish to please him. I remember a line in Dryden, and every poet is the monarch's friend. It ought to be reversed. Johnson. Nay, there are finer lines in Dryden on this subject. For colleges on bounteous kings depend, and never rebel was to arts a friend. Footnote. Absalom and Achitophel, part one, line eight, seven, two, and a footnote. General Paoli observed that successful rebels might. Footnote. Paoli perhaps was thinking of himself. While he was still the successful rebel in Corsica, he had said to Boswell, The arts and sciences are like dress and ornament. You cannot expect them from us for some time, but come back twenty or thirty years hence, and we'll show you arts and sciences. Boswell's Corsica into footnote. Martinelli, happy rebellions. Goldsmith, we have no such phrase. General Paoli, but have you not the thing? Goldsmith, yes, all our happy revolutions. They have hurt our constitution and will hurt it till we mend it by another happy revolution. I never before discovered that my friend Goldsmith had so much of the old prejudice in him. General Paoli, talking of Goldsmith's new play, said, Il a fait un compliment très gracieux à une certaine grande dame, meaning a duchess of the first rank. Footnote. The Duke of Cumberland had been forbidden the court on his marriage with Mrs. Horton a year before. But on the Duke of Gloucester's avowal of his marriage with Lady Walgrave, the King's indignation found vent in the Royal Marriage Act, which was hotly opposed by the Whigs as an edict of tyranny. Goldsmith, perhaps for Burke's sake, helped to make it unpopular with the people. We'll go to France, says Hastings to Miss Neville, for there, even among slaves, the laws of marriage are respected. Said on the first night, this had directed repeated cheering to the Duke of Gloucester, who sat in one of the boxes. Forster's Goldsmith into footnote. I expressed a doubt whether Goldsmith intended it, in order that I might hear the truth from himself. It perhaps was not quite fair to endeavour to bring him to a confession, as he might not wish to avow positively his taking part against the court. He smiled and hesitated. The general at once relieved him by this beautiful image. Monsieur Goldsmith est comme la mer qui jette des perles et beaucoup d'autres belles choses, sans son apesvoir. Goldsmith. Très bien dit, et très élégamment. 
a person was mentioned who it was said could take down in shorthand the speeches in parliament with perfect exactness Johnson, so it is impossible i remember one angel who came to me to write for him a preface or dedication to a book upon shorthand and he professed to write as fast as a man could speak footnote stenography by john angel seventeen fifty eight and a footnote in order to try him i took down a book and read while he wrote and i favoured him for i read more deliberately than usual i had proceeded but a very little way when he begged i would desist for he could not follow me hearing now for the first time of this preface or dedication i said what an expense sir do you put us to in buying books to which you have written prefaces or dedications johnson my i have dedicated to the royal family all round that is to say to the last generation of the royal family goldsmith and perhaps sir not one sentence of wit in the whole dedication johnson perhaps not sir boswell what then is the reason for applying to a particular person to do that which any one may do as well johnson why so one man has greater readiness at doing it than another i spoke of mr harris of salisbury as being a very learned man and in particular an eminent grecian footnote james harris father of the first earl of malmesbury born seventeen hundred and nine died seventeen eighty two years later boswell wrote to temple i am invited to a dinner at mr cambridge's where are to be reynolds johnson and hermes harris do you think so said he most certainly said i do you remember how i used to laugh at his style when we were in the temple he thinks himself an ancient greek from these little peculiarities as the imitators of shakespeare whom the spectator mentions thought they had done wonderfully when they had produced a line similar and so good morrow to ye good master lieutenant letters of oswald page one eight seven it is not in the spectator but in martinus scribblerus swift's works that the imitators of shakespeare are ridiculed harris got his name of hermes from his hermes or a philosophical inquiry concerning universal grammar Craddock memoirs says that a gentleman applied to his friend to lend him some amusing book and he recommended harris's hermes on returning it the other asked how he had been entertained not much he replied he thought that all these imitations of tristram shandy fell far short of the original End of footnote. i spoke of mr harris of salisbury as being a very learned man and in particular an eminent grecian johnson i am not sure of that his friends gave him out as such but i know not who of his friends are able to judge of it goldsmith he is what is much better he is a worthy humane man johnson nay sir 
that is not to the purpose of our argument footnote johnson suffers in cooper's epitaph on him from the same kind of praise as goldsmith gives harris whose verse may claim grave masculine and strong superior praise to the mere poet's song cooper's works end of footnote that will as much prove that he can play upon the fiddle as well as giardini as that he is an eminent grecian goldsmith the greatest musical performance had but small emoluments giardini i am told does not get above seven hundred a year johnson that is indeed but little for a man to get who does best that which so many endeavour to do there is nothing i think in which the power of art is shown so much as in playing on the fiddle in all other things we can do something at first any man will forge a bar of iron if you give him a hammer not so well as a smith but tolerably any man will saw a piece of wood and make a box though a clumsy one but give him a fiddle and a fiddlestick and he can do nothing End of section 31